Hello and welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard at PA Howdy on Twitter. Today we're going to be looking at rookie wide receivers in the 2024 class. I've run through my first 14 ranks doing preliminary notes and rankings and tiers of the first 14 wide receivers. So I'm going to break down briefly how I'm looking, although the process really hasn't shifted much from last year because we've really locked in most, I think, of the core elements. So you can go back and listen to those episodes where I detail the process in more depth in the podcast and also on YouTube if you're more interested. I just want to cover it briefly here just as like a reminder. And then I'm going to run through the basics of my next few tiers. If you want to see the actual notes and a little bit more in-depth to things I noted on their different production profiles, um, then you can check out my ranks list where I've got a list of every rank I've made pre and post draft for every position since 2019. I've been doing this a little longer than that, but 2019 is where I started writing them down, dating when I wrote them down, um, to track them and see how I did. On that note, while I've had a lot of different ideas about how to start this particular episode or these particular episodes while I talk about ranks, I think going back to those lists and the improvements since 2019 very quickly, is how I really want to get started. So, let's start off right there. Do you have the time to listen to me grind? Take down the film watchers and nerds all at once. So of the most recent draft classes, Patreon has actually let me get behind a few paywalls I wasn't able to before. Talking about how I've tried to improve my process really comes down to getting more in-depth in tracking my own results and paying attention to what I get right and what I get wrong more often, or what is right and is wrong more often, based on my guesses, is probably a better way of looking at it, um, and trying to better contextualize what I'm looking at and how to judge whether the player is standing out or not. Now, to be clear, the process relies on the idea that good players are going to stand out significantly, especially considering the strong jump from the college level to the NFL level when it comes to skill and actually minimal chances of success relative to fantasy production, at least. And that's not always true. Players can disappoint or be unimpressive compared to historical averages, realistically be some of the best players in the NFL, whether it's because of an uneven or unexpected or very unique path towards the NFL, biases inherent in the system itself, where it comes to draft capital, but also team capital, you could think of it as, whether you play in certain conferences or play for certain high schools at a certain level, has a large bearing on what people in the coaching tree for the next level when it comes to college actually think you are capable of which limits opportunities in and of itself and that's not even a thing we get into so there's lots of reality beating down the potential that we could have any idea of what reasonable historical comparisons are for successful nfl prospects for fantasy purposes and lots that just mean some players are always going to squeak through and have not been noticeable beforehand now those who have a different process especially one that focuses on the tape still i find ultimately believe the answer is there watch the tape bruh but I have to believe that college coaches and college scouts and other NFL players and quarterbacks and all these people building into all these real life decisions probably do a better job at deciding who looks better on a football field and then who doesn't than anything I could possibly put together with zero skill set or training in that aspect and just assume my best bet is going to be taking it into a realm where I have some 
knowledge at least of how to investigate what is normal, what is above normal, what is below normal, and then what the results were on a historical basis. That's something I think I can do. Not that I'm best at, not that I'm a genius and therefore I can solve, but I think that's within my skill set and is a reasonable and viable and consistently over the last few years and even before 2019, providing more positive than negative results in terms of in terms of hitting and an above 50% rate beating ADP and improving my dynasty teams and it seems to keep working and I think it's getting better especially since Patreon has allowed me behind certain paywalls so I can get better context what everyone else who's been disagreeing with me on my major differences between ADP and NFL ranks have been doing since they've been behind these paywalls for a hell of a lot longer and actually get paid to do this full time and still don't seem to do it I don't know, but maybe that's just bitter berries because I, I don't get paid for it. But some of it seems remarkably obvious when you honestly pay attention to what means what and what has value for anything else. And just paying attention to a few small, in seemingly small things has had drastically more positive results. I found on my rookie results, or my rookie ranks, especially pre-draft. Going back to 2019, my first tier was four players heavy. And again, paying more attention to historical hit rates, I've already come to one decision in my ranking since 2019. And that's to be far more strict when it comes to who enters the first, second, and third tier of my rankings pre-draft as well, especially. It's not about model scores or who I like or who I don't like so much. It's just a reasonable expectation of who could possibly be or how many could possibly be worthy of a first tier grade. But I digress. In my first tier, I had Nikhil Harry, AJ Brown, Andy Isabella, and DK Metcalf. In my second tier, I had Hakeem Butler, who I don't remember liking particularly, but in 2019, I wasn't making notes. I was just making ranks, so it's a little hard to know. I also had Kelvin Harmon in tier two, who I remember liking a lot, and he dropped significantly in the draft to the sixth round. Marcus Brown, followed by Keyshawn Johnson, who again, I remember liking a lot, although it is hard to know. J.J. Sega-Whiteside and Debo Samuel, again, a very heavy tier two, also fell into that tier. I know I've gotten a lot of flack from several people, especially in the Dynasty Grind, about not liking Debo or not liking certain players enough. But when I go back and look, what I find is that Debo and other players who I might not have had ranked highly enough, because Debo comes in at 10th and J.J. Sega-Whiteside comes in at 9th, but they're back-to-back -back in the same tier. I'm simply not being restrictive enough at the likely expectations for different profiles hitting. And I think that's what's garnering some of my mistakes, my mistakes in 2019. I think they're all reasonably grouped in terms of range of success without knowing draft capital. Especially when you consider that Kelvin Harmon dropped in the draft. Hakeem Butler dropped to the fourth round, and those were the two that were ahead of Marcus Brown and Debo Samuel. J.J. Sega-Whiteside got second-round draft capital, so I might still have been fooled by him when he got to after the draft, but Keyshawn Johnson fell to the sixth, and already my pre-draft ranks would have cleared up rather nicely, just with a little bit of information that I knew was important and couldn't possibly have had pre-draft. But... I, I don't want to make this podcast whole episode of my 2019 ranks, but there were some notable missteps, including um, having J.J. Sega-Whiteside that high. His profile now would rank significantly lower than just my pre-draft model, which, again, is more of a ruler to guide how interesting prospects are to look at, rather than, in and of itself, a way to rank players. Someone on my Discord recently called what I do with rookie profiles at this point 
the spreadsheet version of tape watching, and I kind of like that, and I think it's probably, from what I've learned of what statistics can and can't do with this process, the way I think I want to use them. So I'm going to steal that right from you, um, Connor, and start saying that's my process. Um, it's the same with AJ Brown and DK Metcalf. In my first tier, Andy Isabella is decently scoring in my new pre-draft model, which has been consistent over the last few years. I haven't had to keep updating it since I've had new context stats. Um, but Nikhil Harry was a miss a lot of us had, and he was also drafted in the first round, so I don't feel like this first tier is particularly bad. Um, Andy Isabella is a known miss profile, which we'll talk about a little bit later when we get to the 2024 GLAT class and something that I really couldn't have highlighted without further context stats at that point in the data I was able to collect. AJ Brown versus DQ Harry was a whole conversation that year with DK Metcalf and that was back when I was talking to Jake on the podcast and I was still a little trolly or a little trying to be attention seeking with my ranks in that I thought what I thought and I knew certain things could get me into the conversation that I was desperate or used to be desperate to be part of in mainstay who is popular in fantasy Twitter rather than who is good. I since moved towards preferring the latter, but still. And so I liked having DK Metcalf at the bottom. And I do remember, and I think if you went back and listened to those episodes on Dynasty Crossroads, me specifically saying, I'm ranking DK Metcalf specifically lower to annoy you, Jake. But I could be misremembering that because I don't ever remember having him Butler above Marcus Brown either. So anyway. In 2020, I had... Three players in Tier 1. I still am not making notes, but again, my model this year and last year would have done a lot better through these first two tiers. But in my first tier, I had C.D. Lamb, Jalen Rago, and Justin Jefferson. Jalen Rago now would score mediocre, like pretty decent in my new model. But at the time, I remember that being the case. I ended up liking what I saw on a year-to-year basis with Jalen Rago more than his overall model score at the time. But again, one out of three in a really good draft class feels pretty clear, and I like the fact that I started to clean up how many players I'd even be allowing into those tiers. And since it was 2020 and a really good draft class, it makes sense that three is actually an extreme reduction compared to 2019, where I had four players in tier one, and it was a significantly lower-ranked class, or should have been a significantly lower-ranked class. In tier 2, I had Jerry Judy, Denzel Mims, and T. Higgins. T. Higgins is at the bottom of that tier, which is the main miss here. You'll be happy to know that he and Jerry Judy both score significantly higher in my model now. Denzel Mims would be significantly lower based on his overall touchdown dependence and low receiving yards per team pass attempt, especially when you age adjust it. At the time, I wasn't able to do that quite as effectively as I am now. But still seems like a pretty solid tier 2. Moving on to 2021. In my top tier, I only had Jamar Chase and Rashad Bateman. I like the restriction, Pete, but Rashad Bateman will continue to kick you in the nuts until you get better at that particular profile, which again is a profile we're going to have to talk about when we get to 2024. But this is just a profile I consistently fall for because they consistently beat the averages, even when adjusted for most context, into the receiving yards per team pass attempt, even yards per route run, with overall positive production and huge percentages or per team adjusted um, possession of the overall offense. These seem like really productive players that aren't doing it in a flashy manner, but I, I think I have a way to adjust for that slightly, especially with profile reading at this point. But Rashad Bateman showed positive signal through year one, and somewhat year two, I thought, 
and you can still see clips of him being better in the receiving game than he's ultimately producing in the NFL. At this point, it's just a straight-up miss, but it is a known profile that I just don't think I can outsee for the future when it comes to what statistics can and can't tell me when making historical comparisons. In my second tier, I had Elijah Moore, Devontae uh, Smith, and Rondell Moore. You'll ha- be happy to know Devontae Smith now is the only player who scores anything remotely like Jamar Chase in my new pre-draft model, which has been consistent over the last two years. Those two would have been the clear one and two in my pre-draft model, which works out to have been the best overall result. And I still maintain, I, I, I'm happy to fall into the Rochelle Bateman Hall from tier one. And Elijah Moore and Rondell Moore both show a lot of promise at different roles that turned out not to be as fantasy successful. And even this year, in 2020, I had started to make actually significant notes. And my Rondell Moore notes say, make no mistake, I love Rondell Moore. The reason he's outside the top tier is because I'm trying to be consistent. The fact that I don't know who his career would have played out before he didn't have major injuries means I have to make more... I have to be more concerned over what his production profile could say versus what I want it to say. So I'm already making reasonable context adjustments for his ADOT, his overall role, and paying attention to the fact that missing years in a player's profile overly burden the small sample that we have. And I actually kind of like that being included in my 2020 profile. Overall, this is a better hit rate. The ranks are getting better, the tiers are getting thinner. And the guy that falls out of those two top tiers, we wish, I now wish, would have made it, scores, again, top three in my model overall. And that's just looking at the model, which is not a ranking engine, over, um, in my new pre-draft model. And that's Jalen Rager. But my notes, again, give me an insight into what I was thinking at the time. He fell into my third tier, where Dimey Brown was actually a player I really liked. I was putting interesting players that I liked in tier three, below players other people really liked, but I really didn't. But I had to respect their ranks. Terrence Marshall is who follows up Jalen Waddle, for example, in tier three. People tell me Terrence Marshall is good. My notes on him are consistently, this doesn't look good, but... I have to allow that I could be wrong, and he's probably going to be high drafted. He went in the second round. And Jalen Waddle is ranked slightly higher than in pre-draft right now in 2021 with what would currently be a higher model score. And he would later go in the first round, which again, my post-draft ranks would have sorted out at that time. And my notes on Jalen Waddle read, incredibly passive-aggressive and negative. Essentially saying that people are only telling me he's interesting because he played at Alabama. And you can read all those notes on my, on my list as well. I just don't want to go too far into this. But then there's a second pass. And I literally say, second look. Some arguments later, after I talked to other people, probably including Zach, brought up a new positive comparison. Robbie Anderson also played somewhat of a limited college career. Didn't get the draft capital Waddle's team and hype could bring him. Moves him up to the... Moves him up in a category for me. Draft capital could bring me in, maybe. Also, a 15% dominator at 19 is below average, as all his numbers are by team and conference and age adjustments, but it's not terrible. Neither is his 1.9 yards per team pass attempt. At the time, still in 2021, I don't have the ADOT and slot stats to really provide full context on that, and I hadn't dug in enough, but I'm already allowing further... Understanding of what a player profile is because of the context of how his college career played out. And I think I can see that starting to play more of a role in my evaluation process by 2021. Moving into 2022, 
My first tier just consisted of Traylon Burks, which is a straight up miss at this point as well. But a lot, a player a lot of people missed on. I think, I don't think there's a way of me avoiding thinking a player like Traylon Burks is going to be good. I still haven't found a solution to that profile, but neither did the NFL or, and, you know, industry secret for anyone that clowns on anyone else's Traylon Burks ranks. Pretty much everyone you should take seriously. Only people specifically trying to be contrary would have not liked Traylon Burke significantly in this class. He was a very productive and impressive on-tape college player. So, yeah. Tier 2, however, was George Pickens, Garrett Wilson, and Chris Olave. Straight up wins. Is that order right? No. But my notes, once again, kind of make clear why I'm ranking him in that way. Specifically highlighting the upside of George Pickens, but the, the lower level percentage of that kind of player hitting at the NFL level was George Garrett Wilson and felt much more secure, and Chris Oliva was more of the George Pickens ilk in terms of hit rates, but much more consistently positive in his overall production profile. I also broke down the difficulty of Wilson and Olave's hit and miss season with players changing teams, essentially because of another player that was about to come out that existed on that team at that time. Um, so 2022 looks drastically better and has learnt from 2021 and 2019. And these notes are specifically helping me understand what I'm getting better and what I'm, and that I'm highlighting the right things and consistently improving my overall process. For example, David Bell, who I liked a lot, and Drake London were both in tier three. And the breakdowns on both, based on my notes, I'm actually still happy with, despite the fact that Drake London's rank looks right my notes are accurately describing what to expect and how excited we should and shouldn't be for each based on what the NFL draft brings. And Jamison Williams, who was ranked often close to the top tier, if not in the top three for some people that year, and actually gets a very significant model score for me in my new pre-draft model because I'm starting to get more accurate valuing the things that I should value, perhaps. He's ranked at the very bottom of tier three. Interesting. But noting, again, his lack of college profile and some of the ups and downs that we could expect, the highs and the lows of his overall profile because of it. I find that's more accurate, too. Going into last year, Tier 1 just had JSN. I stand by that still. Overall, positive season, though obviously not as positive as the from-out-of-nowhere Puka Nakua. Tier 2 is Jordan Addison. I still feel pretty strongly about that. Jordan Addison's rookie year was a lot better but it didn't feel extraordinarily better in terms of its range of outcomes. I think that's as positive as you could hope for most rookies without trying to peg a season that is an outlier. We don't get a lot of seasons a lot better than Jordan Addison's, and it's very hard to throw a dart and hit one of them and do it accurately consistently. So you're either getting lucky or you're exaggerating your chances of success. Followed by Josh Shands and Quinton Johnson in Tier 3. That all feels very solid to me. Where's Tank Dell, you ask? Well, pre-draft, my notes on him, again, I'm actually really happy with. It highlights the fact in Tier 4 that I like Tank Dell a lot. Or actually, he's listed as Nathaniel Dell because that's, that's the name that he's listed in, the, in college stats. And this lists his yards per route run, his receiving yards per team pass attempt, and his overall slot and A dot, and how far above the conference average in both he is, and then point out it's the American Conference. That's what's holding him back, a more reasonable expectation on whether he gets some draft capital. He bounces significantly up in my ranks when he's drafted in the third round, and that American conference value seems to matter less. 
Rashi Rice is a player I overall missed on last year. Pre-draft at this time last year, he was in my fifth tier below Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman in the same tier. Overall, I noted him as a player with four years who does not cross the average in receiving yards per team pass attempts for yards per route run uh, for hits in the NFL. Rice has a very specific role in college with a low ADOT and high wide receiver rate, which I've come to understand better between last year and this year, which is what we're going to be talking about with 2024 a lot better. Um, I'm not going to read through all my notes here, but again, I'm kind of happy with what I noted from the profile. I don't think I understood ADOT and slot rates and their role and how they translate to the NFL quite as well last year as they do this year. Obviously, we're always trying to improve. But honestly, I think Rashi Rice is always going to come out slightly lower for me than someone like Tank Dell. And Tank Dell needed draft capital to get up. And Keyshawn Boudet is someone that was ranking in Tier 4 ahead of Zay Flowers. But he fell in my ranks after he got drafted into the sixth round of the NFL draft and Zay Flowers rose significantly in fact above Quinton Johnson into the first year when one got first round draft capital as well just talking about likely range of outcomes because of their slot and ADOT roles put him in the higher category for me Marvin Mims was just someone again feels like the Rashad Bateman groups where there are just going to be productive players who don't hit that I'm always going to be willing to miss on. In the same way that I know there are going to be less productive players compared to averages, like Rashi Rice, that are going to be better than I think, that are always going to occur. There are always going to be players who I can't identify as being above average based on the presuppositions of the process in general. Good players are going to stand out. Well, some good players don't stand out particularly, because this is real life, and not everything works perfectly but you're still going to be getting more right than you're getting wrong, and I don't have to consider myself a super genius or assume I can read college tape better than scouts, NFL managers, GMs, or Zach Reed, for that matter. I can just listen to what they have to say with draft capital or literally what Zach has to say in the Dynasty grind and adjust accordingly without having to think myself capable or better at everything than anyone else or anything than anyone else, and that fits me personally better. I think my ranks, especially my pre-draft ranks, show consistent improvement, even since 2019. And remember, I got to 2019 because I've been doing it for a few years. I'm putting my ranks and ideas out there and still doing pretty well when compared to averages and ADP. I don't have a record tracking it, but I still feel like I was doing pretty well, even pre-draft. And remember, pre-draft ranks are meant to look wild when you look back. We shouldn't know the answer pre-draft because the draft is the most important factor in all ranks, especially for wide receivers. But I think I've learned to value the right things, read profiles better. The context sets Patreon's getting me access to has made me do an even better job at that. I'm starting to value the process elements that are actually worth valuing in terms of restricting the number of players in high tiers especially, but also paying attention to the relevance of certain roles and how well they translate to the NFL level even before they're drafted. Now I run through all that not to uh, tell you how great I am because honestly I'm hoping you see the parts that aren't great and how I'm trying to improve. Honestly because patrons and patrons have made me able to get better and I want to know you want you want to know it's not gone unnoticed and I haven't stopped putting in the work because I, I, I have a Patreon now or whatever. I've actually dug in harder since 2019 and 2021 and consistently done better 
and try to do better. Focusing on things that actually have positive results instead of making me feel like I identify who this is a guy is for me over everyone else. I would rather get everything exactly the same as the NFL draft order and have it be the most likely outcome than have something drastically different and having one hit outside of the range of what we should expect in order to stand on a hill and say, look how good I am. Because I, I actually just want to have better results over time. Um, and I'm giving you all the information as well. Again, it's pinch my Twitter timeline, pinch my Patreon timeline. Take my process for what it is. I try to alliterate it as much as I could. And that's also part of why I started to write down notes. Although that's actually helped me out as well in the long term. Seeing what I value and what I emphasize and where I'm flippant and where I shouldn't have been flippant. Or where I should have been even more flippant about certain aspects of certain profiles. Athleticism couldn't... You just have to, I have to get even more flippant about being, about athleticism. And I have to care even less about drafted rate and draft value when it comes to actual real world results. When a player gets drafted, drafted rate doesn't matter so much anymore, if at all. When a player scores in the NFL, where they come from in the draft matters a little less. Although there's always a little stigma because it is the real world and the NFL is full of, frankly, snobs. But. Do think I'm concentrating on the right things, and I do think you can see a consistent progression and positive results without the most important piece of information, which is the NFL draft. That all being said, maybe they're crap. Maybe you've already beaten it and you just want the data and you don't have to listen to me on profiles anymore. But if you're interested in it, again, it's all in that rank sheet and all my data is free as ever. And pin to my Patreon and pin to my. Twitter timeline and my threads timeline now that they allow you to pin things to your timeline. Having said that, my initial ranks for the 2024 rookie wide receiver class are still a work in process, to be clear. Most are until after the draft and, and I finalize my post-draft ranks. I'm always willing to edit them. My pre-draft ranks will stop at a certain point before the draft because that just seems fair. And my post-draft ranks stop a certain distance after the the actual NFL draft, but I always allow myself to learn more information. I haven't talked to a lot of people about these players yet, apart from the few mentions I've heard of on the Dynasty Grind and hearing Zach and Russ go back and forth over who they've heard of or getting questions on their live stream and passive intake from, again, social media. But this is as unknowing as I can be of who is known and who is not known, which I do try and maintain while I run my own process. But... I still have to look into these players more. I've dug through their statistics, but I want to know some of the narrative as well. That is a process, part of the process that I continually find valuable. And I still haven't ran through all the rookie wide receivers or the wide receivers that I could possibly rank in 2024. We have a lot of prospects in the database for this class. And not just because the database keeps growing, this is a particularly heavy eligibility year because of the COVID crisis and the eligibility eligibility changes we've seen over the last few years i think we have an increased number of players who might actually be prospects let alone drafted into the nfl this year and so there are still players i have yet to work through but i feel pretty confident um over my first 14 ranks that i've hit the highlights or at least the most common highlights until i start digging down into them and even a few not so mainstream names i'm guessing 
Um, and I feel pretty confident so far in the ranks that I currently have listed, although I'm always willing to learn and adjust slightly just before the draft. Again, that's why I started dating them and actually putting a date when my rank is dated and then updated. Um, one, to keep myself honest, and two, so I know when and where I'm making changes, and so do you. That being said, real quick, and again, you can read the actual note profiles or see all the statistics or whatever, or the model scores uh, in that database I keep mentioning for free. Um, but this is where I'm at in the 2024 class. There are two players in the first tier in 2024. That's Marvin Harrison Jr. and Malik Neighbors. Both score above 15 on my pre-draft model. They're not the only players who score that mark, but the only players in this class that are cleanly obviously elite level prospects and above 15 is pretty much an elite mark very few get above 19 which is where marvin harrison actually comes in and pretty much all of those are hits apart from one guy who just makes the list look nice and nasty uh, which is the way modeling works what i would say to a point that i had zach reed again make on twitter i can see what he meant when he said he would be more surprised if harrison didn't hit than neighbors didn't hit and that's frankly because 31% of the hits for fantasy at the NFL level have a skill set or a role in college with production, obviously, something like Malik Neighbors, in that they played in the slot between 0 and 60%, with an ADOT below 13. And only 17% of players who have hit the NFL level, again, drafted within the first three rounds, have had a slot rate below 30 and ADOT between 13 and whatever the ceiling is the limit. Now, those aren't necessarily the best buckets, but the best buckets I've come up for. Frankly, succeeding at the highest level in a way that has consistent viability for fantasy in the role that Marvin Harrison was playing is the moonshot. But if someone is going to make that moonshot, especially just in this class, it's definitely Marvin Harrison Jr. The sky is the limit. But the idea that Malik Neighbors could be a top 12 wide receiver for the next decade is much more likely. And he hit all the marks for his role the same way that Harrison hit all the marks for his own role. He simply scores higher because there's a slightly higher ceiling on that role hitting in the NFL. You've got, you know, Calvin Johnson at that range at the end of that range of outcomes, uh, and that's always going to look better. I would draft Malik, Marvin Harrison above Malik Neighbors without hesitation. But as Zach said, I am not upset to get Malik Neighbors if someone else drafts Marvin Harrison. Um, I don't know I'd do much to tear up, as it were, to get Marvin Harrison over Malik Neighbors. But I definitely would if a reasonable proposition occurred. They're in the same tier. Harrison is clearly one, but I would be fully baked uh, or stoked or whatever word means positive these days to get Malik Neighbors. This is a JSN Jordan Addison last year. Um, fully sold, no doubt. Those are locked in top tier values and from a dynasty perspective for me. And um, whatever ranks they're going to be drafted at currently in rookie drafts um, is it, it, solid, sold. I, I will pay the iron price for them as it were. My tier two in this class are two very interesting prospects. And why I keep mentioning that Rashad Bateman tier. I think Xavier Worthy is my kryptonite in this year's draft. But again... I think I'm getting better at ranks in general, especially pre-draft, and I still like Xavier Worthy. I don't think he's Rashad Bateman. Um, I, I think there's a lot positive here. But 
0% of players that have had two top 36 seasons hit in the NFL from the top three rounds have come from his particular role grouping in college. Now, he did play at a significantly high conference, um, so I'm not too concerned playing in the Big 12. This isn't an American conference thing. But he played with a slot rate between 30 and 100, or a high slot rate for an ADOT between 13 and above. High ADOT, high slot. It's a very rare category. However, we have seen hits more recently over the sample size that I have. Most recently, Zay Flowers and Dono Mooney, both of whom I was particularly low on pre-draft. You may mention or may remember from my notes that I was making earlier about Zay Flowers. I've learned to kind of hate on that kind of excelling at that profile a little bit, even before I started digging into this context a lot. However... Zay Flowers compares well to both Don O'Mooney and Zay Flowers in that respective role. Let me read some of these notes. Uh, both, his, both of those hits have a receiving yards between pass attempt over 2, or 2.0, which Worthy also has. And the contested target rate, or target share, which is something I started to look at to give more context to this particular, these particular role buckets, were also significantly low compared to other types of buckets. In other words, they were below 13% of their targets were contested targets, which were, which is a threshold worthy also meets. But that doesn't wrap it up with a bow, because frankly, there are 31 prospects in this particular cohort of uh, ADOT and slot rates, and six of the players in that cohort would meet each of those criteria as well, four of which would notice did not make it in the NFL. K.J. Hamler, if you remember from my earlier readings, was someone I had ranked significantly highly because he had good receiving yards per team pass attempt, and now we know yards per route run, and even adjusted for that role with that particular ADOT and that particular slot, he looks significantly productive, as did Xavier Worthy, as did Rashad Bateman. But there's little I can do to dispel this. Say Flowers hit. Donald Mooney hit. There is a path to success at the NFL level with this profile. And these brackets aren't meant to be positive or negative in themselves. They're meant to create more positive examples to compare their production to. What I'm telling you is that Xavier Worthy looks incredibly productive. I like him a lot. I've got him ranked third overall, first in my second tier. But the sample size of hits from this category is so small... I don't exactly know what good and bad numbers are necessarily, and that can always mislead me. When we compare players with this particular role in college, their production tends to look good compared to the other buckets. But clearly, since we have only two hits out of 31 particular players since I have data since 2015 in this particular bucket, that's not doing us well enough. But from the information that I have, Xavier Worthy looks excessively productive in the role that he was playing in college. He wasn't relying on contested targets, which is one of the positive signals we should look at in this role. And he was a significant share of that offense, putting up significant production on the targets that he got. He looks good. But that is a question mark that I want to add to my ranks from the, last, from the evolving process here. We've got a player where we have a lack of historical examples to know if that is good enough. But as far as I know, it should be. Brian Thomas is the fourth guy in my ranks, and he's ranked uh, uh, in the second tier as well. 
I go, I went back and forth on Brian Thomas so many times to love to hate to love to hate that it's slightly weird. Essentially, um, the too long didn't read of it is is that he played on a team with Malik Neighbors. Um, Neighbors is a clear arc, the perfect example of this is what a good player would do in this situation with his role. He dominated early, taking over the wide receiver room role, was incredibly dominant in volume, his performance was not off the charts, but you know. 75th percentile when compared to NFL hits with similar roles in college and there are lots of players who have had that role in college and gone on to be successful so we have good historical examples. Neighbors is it. But on the other hand Thomas was buried behind Neighbors unable to establish himself in team's favorite squeeze Keyshawn Butte, who you may remember was too high in my ranks earlier had left leaving his profile missing some versatility. He didn't bounce around in ADOT and slot rate as most players do from different years as they develop into their set role in college, limiting him into this, uh, perhaps limiting his profile or expectations. Right now I've got him as a career average between 0 and 60 slot rate and an ADOT under 13. Don't know if that would be his career average if he hadn't been so buried. But the, the prior here is that players should establish themselves despite competition but there was always a particular heavy team Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave provide in context that sometimes that can be awkward for us in fact the profile that it reminds me best of because his last year was actually phenomenal he's got like 2.8 receiving yards per team pass attempt which is good edge adjusted and it's good adjusted for his role as well if that was his career he would easily be in the this bucket without need for any caveats wouldn't be in the top tier but it would be in the second tier without the need for me reading my notes here. It actually reminds me of the Jarvis Landry and Odo Beckham split. Both of them were over three yards per team pass attempt in their last year together on the same team, which is not nearly as striking, which is in fact incredibly more striking than Thomas's at 2.8. And Neighbors, by the way, is at 3.7. Neighbors is a really good profile. But if that last year and his ADOT and slot role were allowed to develop without this thick, heavy depth chart that was really spread out behind neighbors, um, then maybe there could have been more to Thomas's profile. His overall production score and career arcs are actually really positive. They come in at over 15 points in my pre-draft model as well. But it's pretty obvious that he's being overly allowed his draft rate, because the team is highly drafted, both players are coming from the ACC, um, and his QB rating, because he's performing well when targeted, that 15 isn't quite the 15 score that Malik Neighbors got. He fully earned that as an above-average elite prospect. Thomas's is either actually terrible or actually good, and it's more in the mystery of how those numbers were put together. So there's a little question there, so I dropped down him into Tier 2. I have to see what the NFL thinks. But if that third year is the true capability of Brian Thomas, again, he wouldn't be a top-tier prospect if that was all three years. But he would be a really interesting second-tier player. And so I'm putting him in my second tier with that in my notes. Of There's there's weirdness here, but his ADOT and slot group overall is fairly positive. 31% of players' have hits have come from players playing a lot in the slot or between 0 and 60% with an ADOT under 13. It's not an uncommon hit group. And in that last season, he did fairly well. Late breakouts aren't positive. But with Malik Neighbors playing on the same team at 3.7 receiving yards per team pass attempt, and he still managed to get to 2.8, 
that's a little interesting. So I'm keeping him here for now. My third tier, Romeo Odunce. Odunce? I don't know how to pronounce these names yet. And he's another player I bounced back and forward on. I thought I didn't like him until I went back to look at my notes and compared him to the cohort of productive players in his um, roll bucket in college. And I was like, no, this is actually it's pretty positive. He's a high dot, low slot player. About 17% of players or that have hit um, over the last few years in the top three rounds have come from that particular bucket. It's not an uncommon bucket to find fantasy hits from. Um, he doesn't have the ceiling of Mohavan Harrison in that bucket, for example. But there are fairly positive comparisons, like Nico Collins, for example, even though he was like a fourth-year hit. Um, he had over 40 rats per game in his best season, however, and NATO under 11. He's a below-average prospect overall, but an above-average prospect when you look at the cohort of players in his category, when you look when you adjust by his ADOT and his slot rate and look at his numbers, they look relatively positive or above average for those who go on to do well. And since he's playing in the Pac-12, his stats can be reasonably believed to be comparable to those players who were highly drafted. Romeo Dubs might be something of a comparison, although we can have more expectation for draft capital for Rome since he has pre-draft interest and is coming from a fairly well-drafted team. So ultimately, I like Romeo Dubs. I don't think consistent top 12 performer for fantasy really looks in his range of outcomes, but could this guy be someone who puts up top 24 seasons in fantasy and PPR scoring? Yeah. Uh, for sure, I can definitely see that in this profile, and he looks fairly competent in college. The other player I have in tier three is actually called Tez Walker, or is commonly known as Tez Walker. I have been told, but is listed as Devontez Walker. I don't know which he prefers yet, so I'm just telling you both. He's a high ADOT, high ADOT, low slot player. He actually struggles in yards per team pass attempt, but has good yards per route run numbers, which is actually a red flag I look for. Performing on a per-touch basis, efficiency over volume, not normally my bag. But he had over 30 rats per game in his best season, and a points per game basis at least, and his comps range from James Washington to George Pickens. So there's a high volatility in his range of outcomes. A good way of showing this is that he is hitting similar yards per route run numbers and receiving yards per team pass attempts numbers in his final season as Watson and Higgins in his cohort, but he's doing it on only eight games because he only played eight games that season. Essentially, Walker is someone I want to look more into the narrative on. I don't like per-game adjustments, but there's a lot of upside there, and eight games is actually significant enough that I don't think it's exaggerating the potential upside of his profile. Again, I don't think he's DK Metcalf or AJ Brown or nothing, and his profile is definitely nowhere near that good. But there's maybe some hidden value here, um, or maybe hidden compare when you compare him to average, because he gets like a 13 pre-draft model score, which is a bad average for an NFL prospect who gets drafted in the first three rounds, which isn't overly impressive. But I think maybe there's some hidden value in his profile because of the way his career played out. And so I've put him in the third bucket as someone who's definitely a little bit more interesting. And again, I'm not going to run through all these players as this as in depthly of this. You can talk to me on the Dynasty Grand. You can go read my notes and cells. But my tier four, I have Jim Jamari. I'm guessing I suck at names. Jamari Thrash, um, coming from the ACC. I also have Troy Franklin and Lad McConkey. I know Lad McConkey or Lad is a very interesting prospect. He's got a lot of pre-draft buzz right now. I can definitely see a player who's going to be capable at the NFL level, but ultimately not someone I think is, you know, got a significant ceiling in terms of fantasy success 
And I think the way I said it in my notes here, and my notes are fairly extensive, because I, I thought I was about to profile another Cooper Cup based on my Twitter timeline, and I did not find that. And in a cohort that has Michael Thomas and Sterling Shepard, if Lad McConkey hits, he is a lot more Sterling Shepard than Michael Thomas. That's the way I kind of conclude it in my notes. And very capable player. I don't think he looks like an overly dominant college player in that role. Um, and I was a little surprised we've heard that much buzz about him pre-draft. I don't know. In Tier 5, I have Jacob Cowing and Malaki uh, Corley, who I think are going to be lesser noted, especially because they've both spent time at the Cursor Conference, which is a really bad time. Really, really bad place to come from, but their overall profiles were very interesting. In Tier 6, ranks 12, 13, and 14, I have Kian Coleman, who I think is a player others like. I don't know, I hear names... Um, a highly specialized role player. He could definitely be a good NFL player. I don't see the level of production at the at the role he was playing in his college to bring him anywhere close to the historical positive fantasy comparisons. I just don't think he's was that good at demonstrating a, an overall co-option or creation of a team's offense. I think he was capable. He's a yards per out run and QB rating guy, but not a volume guy with literally nothing to maybe see higher upside in that. I just think he's a per-touch guy. Uh, Roman Wilson, similar story, high edit, high slot player. And uh, Jermaine Burton is the last player I've got ranked here. And my main note, my only note of him right now is shades of J.J. Sega-Whiteside with low, lower target share. His profile lines up almost significantly identical, very similar to J.J. Sega-Whiteside when you look at the categories I've been mentioning. Career, low, career length receiving yards per team pass attempt and yards per route run and QB rating, contested target rating and drafted rating. But he has lower target share. <laughs> um, I really didn't like his profile overall. And that's why I've got him ranked last overall. Um, he is coming from the SEC. He might garner some draft capital because of where he's playing. And I think his model score suggests his QB rating might mean there are some highlight reels out there. And also that there are some drafted rate. And so NFL teams might be looking at him just because of where he played. But, but uh, I don't like that profile at all from a fantasy perspective. So those are the first 14 wide receivers I've uh, somewhat profiled to a greater and lesser extent and the ranks I have them in. There is, like I said, there are still a bunch more I want to run through. I was just looking at Ricky Purcell. Purcell? I don't know. He was an interesting prospect as well. And a few others that have got model scores and a lot of others um, that I really need to dig through because this is a really big class. I haven't been able to look at Xavier Leggett yet, who someone's asked me to take a look at. Um, and I don't know where he's going to rank in yet either. But they're all on the list, and the first 14 feel pretty solid for me, and I think are a good start to understanding what we have uh, in terms of potential for this class. To understand the class itself, this is a wide receiver-centric class, outside the QB position maybe, um, with a very good tight end prospect, like a really good tight end prospect, really solid tight end prospect. Um, this wide receiver room... Class, I don't know, uh, I've used these words too much in this podcast, but these wide receivers, a lot of great wide receivers at their respective roles, two that should immediately be highly valued in Dynasty, a couple others really interesting players that might be a little bit more where do they land, what kind of draft capital they get dependent, but I really think we should be interested in a lot of these 2024 wide receivers. 
Um, I've heard some really high comps in terms of class to class. What I will say is that this class is resplendent. Its main dominant producers all come in with higher ADOTs and, and lower slot rates. This is a type of class the NFL likes to spend draft capital on when I look at previous classes where most producers have that kind of profile. And most producers in this class have that kind of profile, and the NFL likes to spend draft capital there. There are some comparisons to 2014. There are some comparisons I can make because of the way it's balanced between the different groups to 2020, which was the last great wide receiver hit. Not last year we had a great wide receiver, but the last year we had more than five fantasy hits at the wide receiver position was 2020 in terms of players with over two top 36 seasons at the NFL level. And, and there are a lot of comparisons between that class and 2024. This is definitely a class we should be deeply interested in the wide receivers from. Rather than be overly interested last year in the very few at the cream of the tippy top, and a few that we think should be in that cream of the tippy top, but others didn't, like Tank Dell, and, Z and Zach Reed definitely put me and others onto Rashi Rice, I, I somewhat missed. And... Um, this year is you should have more interest in a deeper number of players. Not 20, but you should have definitely six players that you're pretty interested to add to your dynasty team at the wide receiver position from this class if they're still on the board in your rookie drafts. Um, and that's where I'm at. That's what I know about the wide receiver class this year. If you're interested in that process, again, check out the podcast from last year. Check out the process videos I make. How I break these down is basically the same from last year, so I don't really want to make remake those YouTube videos just yet. Um, but I will make some videos on specifically um, player profiles for YouTube this year as well when I get the time. In the meantime, check out the ranks. Talk to me on Discord or I'll see you on Wednesdays at the Dynasty Grind live at 9.30 if you have any more specific questions. I'm starting to break down more wide receivers and I've already gone through the first few running backs as well, which we'll talk about next week. Thanks very much. Hope your off-season's going well, smoothly and relaxingly, and I will see you again next week. Yeah! Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so... Jake on the table and Nate on the plays, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got their lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. They got that I like mortar, peak grinding numbers like molars. I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and they on the place, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and they on the place, no. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical.